The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello there. Obi-Wan Kenobi here, also known as James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan. Jedi Master Plo Koon. And many other characters in the world of Star Wars. You're listening to... Shh, don't tell. It's the secrets of Star Wars. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, Episode 174. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Ciolana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far far away from books to movies to TV shows and more. We're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. And today we are diving into the sixth episode of the Ahsoka series. And as we fly to a galaxy far, far away in the belly of a space whale, we need a Captain John Coral aboard. So hiya, John. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. Thanks um, for being here. We also have the return of the pod racer, Ryan Nafziger. Hi, Ryan. Back from nowhere, just like Thrawn. (laughs) (laughs) And as we meet live action Grand Admiral Thrawn for the first time, we definitely needed our artist in residence. I'm surprised your face isn't painted blue. Catherine Laffrey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was tempting thought, though. (laughs) Well, it's a great crew today, and um, this week's episode, part six, Far, Far Away, is um, given like a really a useless summary on StarWars.com, which says, the search for Grand Admiral Thrawn reaches beyond the limits of the galaxy. And of course, we know we meet all sorts of wonderful creatures and folks, and we learn some things. So before we dive in, um, I want to take a brief moment to recognize the folks that make this podcast possible, our patrons, including Joseph B., Robert P., Carolyn M., Stephanie T., and Jacqueline H. And if you want to help Quest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. Okay, so everyone, um, let's start with Ryan, since we haven't heard from you yet about the Ahsoka series. Uh, What are your overall first impressions of this episode and the series so far? Um, I've been surprised at how much I've increasingly enjoyed every episode. Um, The first episode for me was a little bit of a slow burn, but I have been very pleasantly surprised at how much my love for the whole series has grown as it's progressed and this episode it did sneak the my favorite episode title away from the last episode um (laughs) and that was because i am a big fan of um the old republic um big fan of the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and the online MMO and this episode felt like it felt like you were stepping back thousands of years into the past it felt like you were back on 
either Tython or uh, Korriban with the old statues of monuments long ago with, you know, stormtroopers that look like they have gladiator gear. And it was a fantastic experience. And I was just on board for the aesthetics on this one. It was a <laughs> great, great uh, kind of new perspective in that way. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get Catherine's take on the aesthetics. <laughs> um, Catherine, what were your overall thoughts on this episode? Oh, I was just so happy. This was great <laughs> to see. Finally, Grand Animal Thrawn. Yes. Um, yeah, it was exciting. And like Ryan said, this whole season has been building and building. And I love that I'm always on the hook for more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about you, John? Oh, I really like this episode, too. And the part that I found that I really enjoyed, I mean, having Thrawn introduced was great, but finally seeing a little more development, but then also lots of questions with uh, the uh, characters of, you know, Morgan's uh, being the, the witch and, you know, the background of that, but then there's still lots of questions. And then, of course, now we get introduced to Thrawn, but then there's lots of questions of his motives. And then you get more with Balin and uh, Shin, and you find out more information, but there's still lots of questions, but it was just, <laughs> <laughs> so it felt, I mean, it was really good because, you know, you kept wanting to come, or uh, have it keep going and go deeper into the stuff, but they can only go so far, of course, but that's what I like, though, because it focused on some of those motives versus just uh, from the hero's perspectives and stuff that we've been getting a lot in the last few episodes, too. Yeah, there were a lot of really good character moments, I think, in this episode that made it very rewatchable for me. And right off the bat, we had a very on-the-nose reference to a galaxy far, far away. Um, maybe a meta moment <laughs> between the first Ahsoka. one was the best one, as, as <laughs> Yang said. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that. So Ahsoka and Hu Yang are talking about, you know, Sabine's motives potentially and what and perhaps her selfishness. And we'll get to that later because we'll we'll talk more about Sabine later. But I just want to talk right now about, yeah, how did you interpret the um Histories of the Galaxy, parts one, two, and three. <laughs> I want to know where to sign up. I want to take those classes. <laughs> those are probably those are probably online classes hosted on Reddit. That was my last last joke. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I I saw the the sort of um, not theory necessarily, but just drawing that connection between. One, two, and three, and then prequels, original trilogy, and sequels as parts one, two, and three, right? That I, Did everyone sort of take it that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my mind went first to actually the prequels, so I was like, what is the best? Mm, that's a bold claim, but I can see where that's coming from. <laughs> um, but yeah, that makes a lot more sense now that you said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, we also got references throughout the episode to legends and folk tales. And, um, I thought it, my brain went to legends versus canon. So I don't know if that happened for anybody else, but okay. So, um, the meet here, we, we arrive at Peridia 
And we learn that, first of all, it's a graveyard for the Pergil, which is kind of sad. <laughs> um, initial thoughts about any hidden meanings, references, things that this reminded you of um, in terms of that um, connection, that aspect of the planet. I love the way Palin said this place is a graveyard. Is he meant so much more than the Perio when he said that. I thought that was awesome. And then just, of course, you know, Lion King goes through your head right away. <laughs> As you go through the yeah. bones. But then I had to go back and watch some, you know, Night Sisters kind of stuff in Clone Wars. And their whole planet, Dathomir, looks like it's covered in whale bones. Oh, interesting. So like, okay, so these whales are heading to other places to die too, or is that where the Night Sisters just kind of like rode them there and then ditched them to use their bones for their dark magic? Oh, please, Dom, put the dark voice in there too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the first things I thought though was. You know, if this is, a, you know, a graveyard, too, how do you get out? You know, because as everybody who's coming in, if you're not coming in on the Eye of Scion, <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you transfer, you know, go back back the other way? And that was kind of, because um, then that makes me wonder how that's going to play out in the future here with, you know, um, is it going to remain in this galaxy? Are they, are they going to be able to come back or however? But. That's a big thing that but that was the biggest thought when I heard about that being a graveyard because that's what they're coming there to do in the first you know <laughs> for their migration. It's not like an annual thing or whatever it's a end of life thing hmm. yeah, um, I actually looked up the word Peridia because <laughs> I like to look up words and names. <laughs> apparently, it's a classification of moths in real life, and um you know, I, I went to Celtic tradition where moths are associated with death and decay. I know some, for some cultures they're associated with like transformation. Um, and in Native American culture, moths are associated with dreams. Mm -hmm. So all of those made sense to me um, after watching this episode because of, you know, um, just obviously the death and decay that we've just talked about and it being considered a wasteland by, you know, Shin just kind of looking at it. Um, but then it is like, I, I suspect it will be a place of transformation going forward. I'm not sure exactly how. Um, and we got a lot about dreams as well um, from the witches and um we learn, yes, that this was the homeworld of the, the witches. Um, so, Catherine, I don't know, like, as we're kind of coming into the planet and we see this landscape and we see those monuments, like, what were your initial thoughts about sort of reading all of that and, like, if there's any meaning for you in how everything looked? First thing, seeing the monuments took me right to Lord of the Rings big statues that were on either side of the river, especially having the water running through this land as well. But then as they flew in, 
And we still get Lord of the Rings references, but they're following the statues in. And then there's statues surrounding their little tower, castle, whatever you want to call it. And to me, the first thought was that looks like Ministerius if they lost. Because it was Ooh. all blackened out. So it was like, oh, this is where, where, what death would look like if it didn't work out in Lord of the Rings. And then I was like, okay, it also reminds me of the Witch King of Agmar. And I kind of had that feel for him. So I'm like, okay, we got these witches and stuff going on. And then I was showing images of it to my youngest daughter. And right away she goes, Mom, Atlantis. I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, Atlantis remember the comes statues back again. guarding Atlantis in the Disney movie. And, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And you were also looking for a great power that has its source at the beginning. So all this ties into a lot that was said later on by Balin and looking for a great power. So there's a lot of mm. rhyming with Atlantis, as uh, George Lucas would say. Yeah. Um, Ryan, you said it felt like an RPG. So, I mean, yeah. did you kind of get that feeling from the look of it as well? Yeah. So that was... For me, that was the first thing I thought of because the priming at the whole beginning of the episode talking about stories and legends of the past is the whole context for a lot of the KOTOR um, lore um, where you have these sort of towering figures of ages past and the old Sith Empire and the old Republic Empires constantly at war. Um, so the first thing my mind went to was, oh my goodness, this is setting up for, um, Acolyte. It's setting up for the series that they're going to use to tell the story of the, you know, the, the, the old world, the old conflict, the, you know, the, the conflict that's been going on for thousands of years, um, and I thought that that was the first thing I thought of when I saw these giant statues from ages past. Um, I'm like, this is where they're going. And it's going to be so neat if they do take this and run with it and start telling the old stories, you know, like Yang was talking about. John, I see you writing notes as we're discussing here what are you thinking about all this writing the second uh, uh series of acolyte <laughs> no, I actually I, i'm actually taking notes on what they're saying <laughs> pretty interesting i mean it's uh yeah it, it definitely had the old i mean yeah transporting back into the past and then as balin discusses things and, you know, like, and you're mentioning all the folk tales and stuff like that. And then I think the awe of seeing it all brought to life, you know, for especially for Balin, you know, because he heard all these stories and it might be something similar for Ahsoka later, too, from what she heard, because, you know, those were stories from the temple. And it's it's one thing to hear stories and then it's another thing to actually witness them <laughs> in, in real life. And I think. I mean, that's what really, really made it an interesting episode to me for as well. It was just the whole, uh, the reminiscing of the past and, mm. and, uh, and tying that into the storyline. Yeah. 
Well, it was really neat to hear that it was the original home world of the the Night Sisters, uh, the original kingdom of the witches. And um, I didn't expect for us to get more live action Night Sisters besides Morgan. Um, so meeting these three great mother characters was pretty rad. Um, not because I like witchcraft, but just because they were so mysterious and intriguing, you know, in Star Wars it. I don't think we've really gotten an explanation as to how their magic relates to the force, you know? They kind of played it out a little deeper in Clone Wars in season three. There's a good um, four episode arc and they give you a little mm-hmm. bit of a backstory on how they tap into the dark side of the force for their magic. Mm. It's, it's very helpful. I would recommend for those four. Going back to the Purgle graveyard, mm-hmm. one thing that when you guys were talking about the bones, what I thought of was, well, if the force is an energy field that also has connections to all living things, that might very well be a, a sort of seed form source for the Night Sisters to be... Mm-hmm drawing on their power you know if they're drinking potions and that sort of thing that they're that have these strange uh connections to the force the ground is literally covered in the the bones of these massive force sensitive whales (laughs) you know (laughs) there's got to be a connection there Mm, that's really interesting theory um, in Clone Wars, they do call their green potions life water, too. Mm. So that could be something there, tapping into draining the life water from the whales. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, what did you guys think of the Great Mothers in in this episode? Like, the fact that there's three of them, I think, is interesting. I'm sure that probably represents something and i'm curious to hear your your thoughts and reflections on on the great mothers i mean they look so cool (laughs) first of all yeah (laughs) definitely another disney reference for me gotta go to hercules on this one we have the three the three fates (laughs) with the hades and of course hades blue and here they are hanging out with drawn it's like you can't (laughs) not think of that (laughs) oh there you go i just needed drawn to say i know you no. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought of the um I I oh my goodness. I thought of like Mortis related lore with the three um obviously they don't have any immediate connections to like the Mortis lore that we got in Clone Wars or in Rebels, but um I think they're probably tapping into something in the world between worlds because they they were sitting on a tower that seemed to be part of um I hate to call it a stargate but man does it does it ever feel like some sort of a stargate or at least a map um so I think there might be a connection to the way that we're seeing the force move in very very powerful um very, very powerful people like Anakin and Ahsoka. And we saw with the Emperor, like at the last season of Rebels, um, you know, something. There seems to be a way that very powerful um, 
users of the force can tap into other worlds. John, what did you think of the great mothers? Oh, um, the thing, well, I wasn't too sure about the three because I mean, I know, you know, you'll see lots of shows are storylines with three and for various reasons. But the one thing that really stood out to me was when, um, there was Sabine there and they say it reeks of Jedi. And what I found was interesting, and it was on the second time I watched it, was first off, first thought it was, is why do they see her as a Jedi versus Balin and Shin? But the second part was when they said, it is dangerous, it will wait in solitude. They didn't say she is dangerous, but it. And I just thought that was very interesting because the way they view Jedi as a, you know, as a, <laughs> an it versus a person kind of thing. And um, mm. so I don't, but, and then it was interesting later on, once again, you know, <laughs> they can sense these Jedi, but then, you know, but why not Balin and Shin? When, or you know, Ezra. When, well, yeah, that too. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> of that, I was thinking about that too. Why can't they just find him on the planet somewhere if they can, <laughs> you know, if they're getting these dreams through the thread or whatever it is and that kind of stuff. But So. But I thought that was interesting, though, but especially when they said it versus. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I I took this opportunity to revisit that Greek mythology that Catherine is mentioning. Um, I didn't rewatch Hercules, but what I did do <laughs> is I went back and um, like watched something about how what what the fates were in Greek mythology. And I thought it was really interesting for a lot of reasons. One is that they were fatherless offspring of this entity called Nyx or Night. And she herself was greater than the gods. And her offspring included death, doom, sleep, and dreams. So there's that connection mm-hmm. again with dreams. And also there is this, you know, um, idea that there were the three fates right and in greek mythology they were called the morai Mm -hmm. which if you know anything about ahsoka and that bird creature that we've talked about that has like this spiritual connection to her and was sort of like passed on to her by the daughter from the mortis arc of the the clone war series then like you know, we see Morai as connected with Ahsoka. And here we have the three fates sort of characters um, that were called the Morai in Greek mythology. And then in the then in the mythology, they were spinning thread all the time. And we we saw these characters, the great mothers having these like balls with sort of like a red space hologram string. <laughs> right. So I thought that was a really cool way to kind of translate it to Star Wars. And um, just, yeah, I, there was a lot of connections there. Yeah. If the white wolf cat doesn't chase down one of those balls at some point, I will be extremely disappointed. <laughs> Toss it around a little with its yes. paws. Right? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, So there is all this connection to dreams. And so um, I know earlier we had been talking about like Morgan 
hearing Thrawn calling out to her, well, I guess it was the Great Mothers. And apparently she knew that like in her dreams that they were sending this message to her. Um, and also Balin says, Peridia is a land of dreams and madness. And so I thought, let's talk about Balin and Shin for now, because I know we all want to talk about Thrawn and we'll get to that, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I felt like we, we learned a lot more about them and their relationship. Um, What, what was your response to, to their interactions and sort of the, these new things that we learned about them and, and Balin's motives. Anyone have theories? I've got a theory on Balin. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Balin is one of the more, I think he's probably one of the more like realist characters to come or realist Jedi to come out of the uh, Jedi temple. Um, and I think that for some reason he seemed, I mean, he clearly seems to be in tune with like the cyclical nature of the force. Um, what I'm interested in is if he has any knowledge about like rumors or legends about Mortis, because he keeps talking about, well, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the source. I'm looking to put an end to this cycle, you know, and that Mm. seems to have to do with, I mean, it seems to have to do with the world between worlds and it has to do with how, how the thread continues to be woven through, you know, all these galaxies and all these thousands of years, you know, it's like he's looking for something. Everyone knows he's looking for something, but I think what he's looking for is a connection to Mortis where we seem to have these, you know, three, um, like paragons of the force, you know, almost the embodiments of certain parts of the force. So I think that's what Balin's looking for is to get to Mortis somehow. Yeah, he does seem to be obsessing over finding power at its source, at the beginning. And it also made me think about um, when Yoda went on his quest to learn how to continue after death, you know, being himself in the living force instead of just dissipating into it. And he went to a space that seemed like a source of the force. And I wonder if, you know, that's also part of Balin's quest is to find this place, to find the, the source. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely power hungry. Oh, yeah. John, what say you? Well, I like the, I just like the interaction between the two characters because you saw a more offensive side of Shin this time around as she was asking her questions. It wasn't just, you know, if people were saying, I mean, and then in the earlier episodes, you know, more wild or feral kind of attitude and just because she's always fighting and all the action and stuff. But this time you get to see a lot more, you know, the deeper side of her as she thinks through these things as, as she works and as they two uh, talk together. But the one thing I found was interesting is, you know, when she talked about or later on about Ezra, I think it was in their talking. And one of the things he said is, She's like, oh, you're teaching me to be like a Jedi. And he goes, no, I'm teaching you to be more. And that was pretty interesting because 
I, that was one of the questions that kind of left me was, what is a Jedi lacking for in his mind for what he is looking for? It's like, is there too many rules or something? And you can't, you know, get in touch with the Force as much if, you know, <laughs> you, um, if you're not part of the Order or something. But, um, but that was kind of interesting, too, I thought was how he wanted her to be more, and I guess he sees himself as more than just a Jedi, and that's why he's no longer a Jedi, but something more. Well, he definitely talks about um, the Jedi's weakness. He mm-hmm. says he likes, he misses the idea of the Order, but not what he says is the truth, which is the weakness. I'm curious in his mind exactly what that weakness is, where that lies, because he, you know, he um, keeps his word with Sabine technically. But then he also continues to say, well, I think Sabine will um, be a benefit to us. So it's it, it's not like he's being, you know, altruistic. <laughs> like he's not being intentionally nice just because it's the right thing to do. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable saying like maybe he wants some sort of balance in the force, you know. Um, he definitely is seeking power and that has always been associated with, you know, the the dark side. But he doesn't seem to, I don't know, exactly be what we would expect from a Sith, right? Can I bring in D&D alignments to this? Yeah, go for it. He seems to be a very lawfully evil uh, guy, which is not typically mm-hmm. what we see displayed on the screen for sith usually they're either pretty neutral or just straight up chaotic you know maul or vader um maul being the chaotic one uh but um but it seems to me like balin also is really embodying the this sort of connotation with destruction that the sith always seem to have where ahsoka is kind of she seems to be not necessarily she she isn't trying to rebuild anything, but she's definitely trying to create. She's trying to do a new thing, um, you know, with with Sabine. She's trying to bring something new. But um, it seems to me like Balin has his eyes on the past only to like um, only to bring it, bring it down or at least like you know, stop something from renewing, you know, something from from being created again. It's interesting to think about how old he was when he said he's watched his whole world burn. Mm -hmm. And now he's trying to figure it out on his own. I think the one thing he lost in everything, I mean, it's like he... It's like he came from a very broken home that was completely destroyed and doesn't know where to go next. And it's, I mean, he has his apprentice, but he doesn't have full community with anyone else. So he's just kind of like, I think I'm doing this right. I'm doing the best I can, but I know there's power out there that'll make me better. No, just kind of like, he feels like he's broken and trying to fix things in like, like looking at it through broken glass. Well, one thing too that I found was interesting too was the fact that when he's introduced to Thrawn and gives his name, and then Thrawn says to him, 
oh, so then you are General Balin Skull. So he obviously had a huge or a high role with the, the Jedi Order there too and stuff. So um, the fact that, you know, a lot of these people, you know, I don't think Ahsoka knew the name and stuff, but apparently Thrawn had and with his research, I guess, of the Jedi Order in the past, but he must have, you know, had some prominent role in, you know, breaking free uh, or breaking away from it was probably pretty. Uh, my question is, I guess, did it happen after the Order or did it happen long before that? <laughs> you know, like before the, you know, during the Clone Wars or before that even when he left the Order. Yeah, I assumed that he was called General because he was either a Padawan or a Jedi at the time of the Clone Wars because uh, Ahsoka was also considered a commander, right? So she would have been like right under um, right under Anakin, who was a general. Um, and I think that was mainly because he was a Jedi. I don't think it necessarily um, refers to his skill level, but I could be wrong. Another thing that was interesting in this is that Balin calls Ezra one from a line of Boken Jedi trained in the wild after the temple fell. Um, and Boken is a term that refers to this Japanese wooden training sword. Um, so the idea that like he wouldn't have been a Jedi from the temple I don't know. I'm wondering if that's either calling him a Boken Jedi would have been, and also Kanan, I guess, since he said a line of Boken Jedi, um, Ezra's master Kanan, um, that they were both trained in the wild and were sort of like out there doing Jedi stuff. I don't know if that's considered like less than or if that's just considered they were just out there because the temple fell and there was nowhere else to go. Did you guys get any sense of maybe what else he meant by that term or, I don't know, your interpretations? Sounded like an ego trip. I mean, the best way to, you know, empower yourself is to put someone else down. He sure did that. But like he was, you know, saying that his ways were much better and that these wild Jedi don't know what they're doing. Of course, he probably doesn't realize that. They had a temple on Lothal that they could learn from. I don't know why my mind went here, but it kind of, it reminded me of, wow, this is like a weird trip, but like it reminded me of how, um, like after the temple in Israel was destroyed, you kind of had this like new, this, you had this new way and new sort of evolution within Judaism where it was like, we're going to start we're going to start this this uh, institution not an institution but this new building called a synagogue you know we're going to start practicing the rules of our faith around the kitchen table and you know we you sort of saw this like new evolution just in like the <clears throat> what it means to be a jewish person after the temple was destroyed and that kind of my mind went there when it when i started talking about like a boken jedi you know you're not from this time period and you would have no memory of this previous age, you know, this other time with all of these other rules and assumptions and um, 
and ways of life. So it's it's almost like um, I didn't take it as an I didn't take it as he was trying to like insult Ezra. I think he was just trying. I think it was just his way of really dividing the two times, you know, the the previous age and the sort of new the new age. Um, that was what I thought of when I when you said Angela like the destruction of the temple. I don't. My mind immediately went, "Oh my gosh!" I just read about this destruction of the temple a couple days ago. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and also. You know, that's where it's a, you know, in comparing uh, Ezra to Shin, and she said, oh, he was trained like me, you know, and he says, that's where he says the part about, no, I've trained you to be something more, whereas, you know, so she's trained in the wild with with Balin, but then Ezra was trained in the wild, but with the, I guess, the limitations of the Jedi Order's training. In his mind, I guess. And so, but, you know, that leads to the, what was the something more that Balin's um, been able to do for her that he thinks the Jedi hasn't, or maybe that Ezra wouldn't have gotten in his training. Yeah, it's it's interesting now having that um, that light, that second pair of glasses that Ryan has brought up. Um when I was able to go to the Holy Land, um, I went to Capernaum and there's this ancient synagogue that's there. And it was there during the time of Jesus. So, you know, there were synagogues be- like while the, the second temple was still there, but they were a, a place of, you know, worship when you couldn't get to the temple. So um, I'm kind of thinking about how yeah, the Boken Jedi, it's interesting. Maybe it was originally meant to be sort of like um, an insult, like you said, Catherine. But I also think that it it could just mean that, you know, these people, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have a, yeah, a temple to go to. So um, they created this thing, you know, this way of training that, was just out of necessity. Um, so, yeah, let's get to um, our sort of Jedi in training here, Sabine. Um, yes, she apparently she's an it now, <laughs> according to the, the great mothers. She's in the solitary confinement situation. Um, and she seems to think that, you know, she's she wants to try to escape so she tries to use the force and we're all like oh my gosh is she gonna do it and there's these rumblings and it's like nope it's not (laughs) it's actually Thrawn um I think at first we were meant to think maybe the whales were coming already but it was Thrawn and the chimera um the idea of Sabine I think we should kind of bring her in at this point because I think she's She's sort of um, the thread that's sort of tying this whole episode together in a way. Um, Do you guys think that she is being selfish or do you think that she is um, she's just really focused in her mission? Or maybe it's both. What do you think? 
I'm leaning toward both. I think Balin called it out. Her desire to find Ezra blinds her. She's, you know, running so focused. She's got blinders on, so she's not seeing the big picture. And early on, too, when uh, Ahsoka's talking to Yang, who Yang and says, um, you know, she's thinking it's a purely selfish move that she did. And, you know, and Hu Yang says to her, well, maybe that's the only decision she thought she had or something along those lines, you know, as her only option. And that was pretty interesting because when he mentions, you know, the force can give you lots of in or <laughs> knowledge about what happened, but it might not give you all like maybe the insights or the understanding of why things happened. I mean, she can replay the scene in this, you know, <laughs> that happened to uh, back in a couple episodes, you know, where they were able to finish the portal or the calculations. But we don't know the true motive behind what Sabine did. And so that was, I thought, pretty interesting. Just because you see the outside, you don't know necessarily the inside. Even though it was two episodes ago, that scene where Balin kind of shows where his real power lies in reading the hearts of another, the heart of another person. That scene was still one of my favorite in this whole series. Um, I think Sabine is probably, I think she's probably making the right decision for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I think that to be honest, Ahsoka probably would have made the same decision in her place. Ahsoka probably would have just justified it differently for different reasons. It kind of reminds me, in a way, going back to um, episode five of the original trilogy, where, you know, we see Luke being told to make one decision for the sake of the Jedi, for the sake of the galaxy, for the sake of all these things. But he just says, no, Han and Leia will die if I don't do this. And so I think that we're just seeing Sabine take that take that very uh like from the heart uh that very from the heart uh decision making and um make the same sort of decisions that were made you know by luke and those in the old in the old trilogy and and i think that it's going to i think it's going to have a lot of the same you know results as it did when we saw good come from come from the failure of Luke. I think we're going to see a lot of good come from the failure of Sabine, whether what that is, who knows at this point, you know, who knows if they make it back, but um, it's not as if she's made a fundamentally different decision than we've seen heroes in the past make in the star Wars, <laughs> um, even at the hands of powerful people. Yeah, I think um, that's really interesting what you said that maybe she made the right decision for the wrong reasons. I tend to think that Ahsoka's logic of she shouldn't have done it because, you know, the whole galaxy, right, is at stake. Because if Thrawn comes back, then things are going to be terrible and war is going to start, etc. I think that's a little bit utilitarian. And what I mean by that is it's sort of like when a little bit later and we'll, we'll get into Thrawn and, and all that, but you know, Thrawn thinks very strategic and he thinks very logically and that 
tends toward utilitarianism, where it's for the numbers, essentially. And so he's marveling that Sabine gambled on wanting to find her one friend (laughs) from 10 years ago, you know, and um, I think ultimately probably Sabine did make the right decision. And that being the right decision because she's seeing the good of her one friend, like the one person is still valuable over, you know, all of the other terrible things that could happen but it's still one person and that one person still means something. And it just means a whole lot more to her because um, Ezra means so much to her. Let's talk about Thrawn now because (laughs) we've talked about so much and I know everyone's just itching to talk about Thrawn. There's like so many ways that we could go into this. Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask for anyone who's more um, into Thrawn and more versed in Thrawn's um, story than I am, is that I know his ship is called the Chimera. And in Greek mythology, that's like this particular, originally it's a one particular creature kind of made of an amalgamation of other creatures put together. Um, Why is his ship named that and why why is that important can anyone answer that i I think i can actually bring out my super niche star wars ship knowledge on this one (laughs) thrawn's ship is a completely non-traditional star destroyer it does not have the standard armaments of a star destroyer it is weaker quote quotation marks in terms of its firepower than other star destroyers in the same class but he has intentionally modified and armed it differently and is and he uses it in a non-traditional strategic way and for that reason he is such an effective general because he is literally using tactics and he is using armaments that are not used by Imperial Protocol anywhere else. It is completely his own creation and his own invention that he has perfected over his military career. So that's why his ship is called the Chimera. It's because it's literally not... It is literally a Chimera of what a Star Destroyer otherwise would be. Okay, there you go. Thank you. That's awesome. Is it, like I, It was so visually stunning this introduction of his Star Destroyer and to see the Chimera on its underbelly um, painted on there um, was just fascinating. And also what was fascinating, seeing Thrawn's soldiers have this armor that reminded me of this Japanese art form called Kintsugi, which is where, like, if you have a vase that has a crack in it, then you fill it with gold instead of trying to hide it because the thought is that the the breaks and the fragility and all of that are should be celebrated and treasured rather than um you know hidden so i was wondering if anyone else noticed that or your brain went to that and why you think that that choice was made for 
the this character design. Did notice it. And the more I think about it, it's just like, oh, to think about like what um, Ryan just said, you know, his his ship is pieced together in the way that works for him. He knows how to piece things together. So if something's broken, it's not a problem for him. It'll get pieced together in the way that works. So to see that his now night troopers are pieced together and then seeing them bound up with those red ribbons, which again is all throughout the Clone Lord episodes with the Night Sisters. You see rocks and buildings and things bound up like that with the red ribbon also. So yeah, just seeing all of this tie together. And oh my gosh, what an entrance. This was like old school Hollywood. It was just, you know, you've got these troopers and they're chanting and it's like, oh, we're Caesar, you know? <laughs> yeah. The Thrawn coming out. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely made me feel like it made me feel like I was watching like an ancient Roman like it made me feel like I was watching Gladiator or something because it was just so it, they played it into the setting that they built. It was fantastic. Um, oh, that reminds me. Um, Angela, what was what was the name of what was the name of the art, the Japanese art form you were talking about? Because I saw an exhibit of this, actually. Mm. Um, I saw an exhi- yeah, Kintsugi. Um, I saw an exhibit of some Kintsugi vases at the Portland Japanese Gardens um, near where I live. And it was very interesting because the 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 they intentionally they also lit up the, these vases in such a way that um, that to highlight the to highlight the the uh, the the gold um, the gold like repairs that they'd made and it reminded me of how um, Thrawn's ship all of the like patchwork and all of this stuff is in gold like they. He is intentionally highlighting all of these all of these sort of wounds and all of these imperfections on this ship because he also had to repair it, you know, after Ezra poofed it um, away. <laughs> but it, it, it just totally reminded me of being in this dark room where you had all these vases lit up with overhead and underhead lights and just all this gold gleaming off of them. It was fantastic great scene what i liked about it was uh well i liked the idea of the gladiator feel um because i was trying to think what does this make me feel you know it's like i couldn't place kind of the chanting and stuff but yeah it does make you feel like you're watching a gladiator movie but then also the thing that made me when i first saw the ship coming made me think of something like independence day or something like that oh, where, yeah you know, as they take their positions before something major happens and stuff. But especially with the, you know, the, as we think, is Sabine actually using the force? No, it's actually the ship coming in too. But, um, but the thing that I found was, uh, you know, the thing I like about the character of Thrawn, as I've been going through the Timothy Zahn, well, all his audio books from, that are canon, and I haven't gone back to the, the original in years um, that were in that legacy, I guess, or whatnot, um, but the, our legends. But the thing that makes Thrawn such an interesting character is he comes, and this is kind of like maybe why then he also does the gold is, you know, his str- strategy a lot of times involves looking at his opponent's artwork and seeing that. And then, you know, so to have 
the gold put in as, you know, like an art form and, you know, might be also part of what he does because, you know, as he studies his opponents ahead of time, he's always interested in the artwork. And that's what I've loved about these books is as you read this and then he's like, oh, no, I figured this out because of this or I figured that out because of this piece of art and stuff. So, um, so that's what I liked about seeing as you mentioned the gold and I've seen that stuff on vases before, but I'm glad uh, you brought that up because <laughs> I wasn't making that connection until you mentioned it. Yeah. And the guy that had the most gold on him, it seems like was the captain of the guard, Enoch. And Oh my gosh, this being Secrets of Star Wars and this guy and me named Enoch, I was just like, I went down this huge rabbit hole <laughs> of Bible uh, trivia and whatnot, because of course, that's a Hebrew name from the Bible. Um, and uh, okay, so I'll just kind of share a few of the things that I think are really interesting to this particular setting here. So. Enoch in the Bible is a patriarch before the flood. So the flood of Noah, right? Noah's Ark. Um, he was the seventh of the 10 patriarchs before the flood. And he lived the shortest of all the patriarchs. Um, they all lived 700 years, it says, more or less. And he lived 365 years, it says. and he um it's it's very short in terms of canonical scripture like coming from a catholic perspective um that he's actually in the bible especially in genesis but there's this whole tradition that would have been believed in the time of jesus and even up to about the 4th century most places that enoch was taken into heaven body and soul um, he didn't actually die and that he was placed at as basically God's right hand attendant at the throne of God and that he was in charge of the archangels. So um, <laughs> when you think about Enoch being Thrawn's captain of the guard, right? And Thrawn walks in and there's this organ music playing. It's almost like they're setting up Thrawn as like a you know, a God figure, right? Then all the soldiers are archangels and he's in charge. And, you know, it's, I don't know, that was pretty intense when I made those connections. Oh my goodness, Angela, when you said setting him up as a God figure, I just realized that when Thrawn came in, he overshadowed the Night Sisters and everyone there with his ship and everything, just kind of like imposing himself on them descending from above. So yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Playing God right now. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. death mask of Enoch. Wow. The first thing I thought of was like, wait a minute, I've seen that. I'm like, where's my art history book? And it's like, oh my gosh, yes, gold death mask. So yeah, then I'm talk going, about oh that gosh. a little bit for people who oh. are not familiar with that concept. So um I think there's a few examples in England, I think my friend said in Bath, they have at least a remake of one, maybe not the original, but they would have these pounded gold death masks um, to cover the face. They're haunting to look at to me. You know, much in the way you had 
the mask over the pharaohs and stuff like that. But so this is for the Romans, I believe, that were up in England. And um, just seeing that face on Enoch, his show, you know, made me wonder, is he even alive? Because <laughs> we already saw the little, uh, what was that guy's, Merrick? Go to mm-hmm. dust on us. So then you start wondering, and he calls them his night troopers. So everything's just kind of getting. And he low. tells Sabine to die well. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a lot of a lot of darkness. You know, if, if Enoch's in charge of the angels, are these fallen angels? Because eh, it's looking kind of creepy. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that fallen angels, because the book of Enoch, which is again not canonical for Catholics, but there's three books of Enoch. The first one, the the majority of it has to do, from what I recall, with fallen angels um, who were called the Watchers. And if you ever watched that movie about the flood that was made a few years ago, I think it was just called Noah. Yeah, it was just um, called Noah. Yeah, they they covered some of this and it was an alternate um, explanation for the the origin of sin that the watchers which were basically angels came down to earth and um and kind of wedded with the human women taught humanity evil things and so therefore they were the fallen angels um and that was where sin was thought to have come from and that's why god would have sent the flood um and so forth so that's kind of like it all is kind of put together but yeah it's interesting that that whole fallen angel concept kind of is still associated with enoch yeah and a lot of that actually is in genesis where you have the nephilim you know the sons of god marrying the daughters of man and exactly who the sons of god are is a different question and then you know enoch did it does say in Genesis that Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God took him. So some of this is in like canonical scripture. It's not just, you know, it's not just, you know, a part of non-canonical works. Um, I was struck by, I was immediately struck by the juxtaposition of Enoch and Ezra, both names from the Bible, you know, Ezra's name being, the man who came out of uh, Babylon to rebuild the temple, um, the first temple, which was destroyed, um, you know, him coming out to, to rebuild. And then you have Enoch, the head over all of the um, the head over the archangels. And then that being juxtaposed, it's like you have kind of this this dual imagery here. Um, yeah, I also shameless, shameless uh, self outing. I did briefly google the was it the mask of agamemnon um which is like an ancient greek artifact and it looked so similar to the mask of the captain of Thrawn's captain it was shocking it was so cool <laughs> nice awesome. i did do that in this recording um <laughs> <laughs> we research while we talk yes Yes, we're fact-checking ourselves. <laughs> John, what are your thoughts on all of this? It was very interesting. I mean, the Thrawn definitely did have a big presence. And seeing how the Night Sisters related to him, and it was just... 
I felt they did a good job with Ron Thrawn too, with the way he looks at things strategically, and it it makes you makes you wonder, you know, what is going to happen, you know, where what Balin and Shin think is going to happen, what Thrawn's discussions with the Night Sisters are, and how they he views the Jedi or fallen or former Jedi. And it just, it'll be interesting. I don't, I just find it very interesting to see what's going to happen with <laughs> um, our, the story arc as it goes forward from this. Yeah. Well, I want to know part of that is apparently there's a bunch of cargo being loaded from a place called the catacombs. And mm. speaking of death, right? Like, um, Thrawn says that this was an agreement that he made with the great mothers to take this cargo from the catacombs um, off planet. And it does look like coffin, like a bunch of coffins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of coffins. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys have theories about what's going to happen with this? Like, are they going to make a bunch of zombies or like, what? What's yep. happening? Zombie. Oh, yeah. I think we're getting <laughs> zombie Star Wars. <laughs> Which I guess happens in some of the video games already. I don't play them, but yeah, I've it, heard people it, talk it about it. a lot. It. <laughs> yeah. The video games rely on it a bit too heavily, not gonna lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it happens like every five minutes. <laughs> um, well, I here. wonder if Thrawn isn't planning on taking these not to reunite himself with whatever empire is trying to grow again. But I think he'd rather take these zombie troopers back to his own people to fight the threat that they're having to deal with. I mean, like he's been away for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. He's, they've had a lot to deal with. So it's like, he's been away for 10 years. He was supposed to be doing recon to help them get ready for this battle. And I'm sure he's, he seems a little upset that he's been stranded for so long and he says his primary objective is to get out of this galaxy to escape this galaxy so i think his goal is to bring as much firepower as he can to his own people yeah so wonder i mean when Balin and shin are talking earlier and she mentions you know maybe <laughs> it seems like a lot of people are wanting to get off this planet maybe we should be too and then that's where you know, Balin, I think, then begins talking about, you know, feeling the power or feeling, you know, he sent, you know, he's sensing something greater and that maybe, I don't know, that the others, you know, the, the sisters might fear or something, but there's something. And um, so <laughs> I guess that, that, I mean, those are, I don't know, every, every time I bring up topics, there's always like so many more questions that. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what that means or where that's going with it, because um, obviously there's something big going on, at least according to Balin. And, you know, I think, you know, Thrawn definitely just wants to get home and he could be taking. <laughs> I mean, or maybe there's something by taking these that, you know, they get some power from as well or for their the Night Sisters magic, dark magic, whatever that may be. Or what's it? Is that what it was called? Dark magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, but 
I wasn't sure though exactly what they were taking from the catacombs. I mean, other than I mean, coffin <laughs> sounds just as good as anything. <laughs> I mean, they're called the catacombs, <laughs> right? But I mean, there could be. But I guess like lots of artifacts though, too, and things like that that could be, sure. you know, tools and you know, or you know, for or weapons or whatever it might be too. What was the name of the the Inquisitor that turned into dust? Merrick, I think. I think? Mer- yeah. Merrick. Let's say Merrick. Mm-hmm. It's his friends. All of his friends are in those coffins. <laughs> um, that's my guess. They're gonna build an army of powdered inquisitors. <laughs> Green <Orbeez>. wispy soldiers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, through all this, the whole point of the journey is to find Ezra, and we do find Ezra, which was kind of a surprise that we found him right away. Um, I've heard somebody say Ezra of Nazareth because of how he looked. <laughs> Space Moses. <laughs> Space <laughs> Moses. That's another one. Uh, what did you guys think of grown-up Ezra? Were you, were you pleased with how he was depicted? It took me a second. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's grown up. And I went, wait a minute, Ryan's got a nice beard on our podcast, so. <laughs> not as good as Ezra's. That no. was a good, that was, man, I had beard envy. Yeah. <laughs> but I was so happy when someone posted a picture of Ezra's dad. And it's like, okay, he turned out to look just like his dad. So I made it really cool. I don't know how the two of them, after 10 years, would just be like, hey, I'm, I'm totally guy. got it. I totally so got it. <laughs> it's that feigned sort of brother sister thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not like super like impressed that you're here and you're alive, but I kind of expected it. You know, like mm-hmm. I love yeah. how they got the eyes just really, really well done. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely felt like you were looking at Ezra just with his eyes and his his facial structure and skin tone from uh, Rebels. And the scars. And the scars, yeah. He built himself quite a nice outfit. (laughs) Yeah, like (laughs) chainmail underneath his robes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It reminded me so much of Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, having the mithril underneath Mm -hmm. his clothing. He's hanging out with little Hobbit-like friends, so... Oh my gosh. (laughs) Talk about it. The noti or naughty? Noti. Apparently. Little hermit crab people. Yes. Reminded I call them hobbit crabs. With... Yes. Hobbit crabs. There you go. Hobbit crabs. Yeah. Oh, definitely something out of a page from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> They're adorable. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, we also had the howlers, which. Um, to me, it felt like just being in Dave Filoni's brain when I saw them. I was just like, oh, he loves wolves. They're his favorite his favorite animal. And then he just kind of added a bat face to it, seemed yep. like. They were so cool. I love the interaction between um, Sabine and her little, what is it called again? Howler. Howler, that's it. Yeah, that was just, oh my gosh. Space wolf. Search space, yeah. Just the way it was like, you abandoned me. And oh, it took me right back to, I do or did um, ski journeying with my dog. So we'd go cross country skiing and he was really good. 
except for when we're going 15 miles an hour downhill. And he's like, oh, look at that tree. I want to go on the opposite side of the tree from you. And yeah, literally, we would both be like a cartoon character on our tether, snapping back to each other. And I'd throw snow at him and be like, really? You had to go on that side of the tree? And he'd whimper back to me. It's just like, oh, I'm not carrying you back to the car. <laughs> It was definitely very, a lot of fun interaction. <laughs> very fitting that Ezra is living among a random group of people that he learned the language of. That's just very fitting from what he, the sort of um, like creature interactions he had in Rebels. Yeah, because he was definitely a creature slash animal kind of force user. Like he was always making those connections. So. How and that's there. how he got here, right? Yep. <laughs> Does anyone think Airstream is going to redesign a camper for these? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how they move them around. Right? <laughs> Are they, do they fly? Do they carry them? Are they all going to be like sled dogs, like 20 to a thing? <laughs> yeah, I would love to see how that actually moves. <laughs> we need the Lego sets to know. Exactly. oh my gosh well there's so much to talk about with this episode but i i will have us end on a final note here when we pull in ezra and sabine and thrawn um when sabine is talking to thrawn he as we mentioned is just totally in awe that she's all in for ezra And she tells him, you wouldn't understand. And so the way that I see it, that's the ultimate insult for Thrawn. (laughs) Because he always, you know, he's he's about strategy. He's about understanding everything. He wants to know everything to get inside people's minds, right? And he doesn't seem to get this. I feel like he does, though. You think? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm always trying to, like put together the throne that's appeared in rebels with the throne that's in the books. Cause there's a slight mm-hmm. difference rebels. He's a little more cutthroat sinister. I mean, he actually blew someone up just to prove a point. So that was very out of character for me when I saw him do that. I was like, what? But, um, yeah. So trying to get that figured out that and Thrawn has had close relationships um, with the people that he grew up with and that he came through his own military system with. So he does have a strong connection to a couple of people. It's like, okay, I think he does get this, but I just got to say, uh, Lars was the voice. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I'm so glad he did the live action for this because his voice and the way he projects and the way he stands and he had the eyes down perfectly. I was just so happy that the Thrawn that's always been in my head when I read the books all the way back in the 90s is like right there. Live action. It was awesome. That's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool for me being a newcomer to Thrawn with Rebels to have the voice. And I think probably I'm guessing maybe they probably thought about it for a while whether they needed uh, Lars Mikkelsen to play Thrawn. But ultimately, I think it would have been very odd to have had 
someone else do it because the the voice just really um, is more than half the character, I think, you know. (laughs) It's kind of like how they had Tamara Morrison voice like random Clone Wars in the previous episode to this one. Yeah. You just, it, it feels off, you know, if you don't see it in the live action or hear it, I guess, in that case. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't know a whole lot about Thrawn, but I interpreted his fascination with Sabine and her just wanting to see Ezra as, um, like compassion. He doesn't thoroughly understand how someone could basically make a decision that affects the whole galaxy um, just for one person. And to me, when I think of it that way, that's sort of like the anti-God, like that, you know, God would just, you know, according to our theology, that God would send his son to redeem, even just if the whole world was one person, would go through everything, you know, for that one person. So for me, that was sort of like the way that I am thinking that Thrawn will be defeated through someone's self-sacrifice at the end of the series. So that's Mm -hmm. my, that's my theory. And I haven't been wrong so far with my Ahsoka theory. So I'm kind of freaked out about sharing that because I might (laughs) be wrong, but. (laughs) I have to say one thing though. Tron was at a disadvantage. He's a huge fan of Sabine's art. Collected a lot of her works. But the one piece of art he never got to see was the collection of all of them together. So he didn't get to see how much her rebel family meant to her. So he's kind of at a disadvantage that way. He didn't get That's to read true. that piece of art. Yeah. So what do you guys have any thoughts about what's coming, how this is going to close because we just have two episodes left. <laughs> Don't let it end. Not yet. <laughs> is this only going to be a one series or season series or, I mean, has there been, I don't know because like, this is kind of like rebels part season three. So maybe they'll carry, carry on this story some other way, but aren't they setting it up to be a movie? Aren't they setting it up to be like an Ahsoka slash Mando movie? Yeah, like Maybe. all the Filoni stuff comes into one big movie. Well, no, like I thought that was I thought that was like a confirmed thing. If it's a rumor, I I don't I thought it, I thought yeah, it was like I an actual know. thing, though. I know there was talk sure. about the Mandalorian kind of wrapping up in a movie at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah, that storyline. But I don't know. But I thought there was something more to. But he's also the same timeline, though, as Ahsoka. So mm-hmm. you would yeah, think like they right would combine now. some of those things. Now I have to say, if anyone kills Thrawn, he's going to end like the 1990s book. I want him to say that great line, at least it was artfully done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I don't think they're going to kill Thrawn. Um, I hope that it, I hope that this whole thing ends with a shot of Sabine trying to use the force and you just see a rock shift and then it fades to, and like it immediately cuts to black and you don't even know if it's her shifting the rock or if it's like, you know. That sounds like X-Men. Something else Come shifting on. the rock. Come on. No, it sounds, no, it sounds like it's a, it sounds like it, it sounds like the end of Inception. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 that too, that too. Uh, 
Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They have two. They have two episodes. Two to wrap this yeah. whole thing up. That's such a little two time. Hours long. <laughs> yes. Marathon episodes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, we shall see. Um, okay, so this is the sad moment where I have to ask you if you have any final thoughts, you guys, that we didn't get to. I was just going to really say, just at the very end, when they're talking about Ahsoka and is she dead? And being told, Balin assured me of his death, his death. And then he says, well, he once was a Jedi, so we must regard him as flawed. But I was wondering, is that because he was a Jedi or because he would have an attachment to Ahsoka because she's a Jedi, you know, or because of his past attachment to the Order, you know, more than just, of course, then how he ends then with wanting to get all that information about her to, you know, to prepare for what he assumes are when she arrives. But pretty interesting, though. Uh, everyone else is thinking, no, she's dead. And he's one willing to admit that she could still be alive. Death and resurrection. Maybe we'll get more resurrection in the future <laughs> in this season. Um, so we will welcome all of you to share your thoughts. I know there was probably a billion other things we could have said about all the hidden layers of this episode. So please feel free to email us starwars at sqpn.com. You can also send us a Facebook message or comment on the uh, episode that corresponds to uh, this episode, the posting on facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can write us on the app formerly known as Twitter at SQPN. And if you're interested in joining our uh, online community to uh, engage in some discussions as well, you can go to sqpn.com slash discord. That's where we have our discord server and we've got over 800 folks over there just waiting for you to come and talk about Star Wars and other cool things. Uh, all of our StarQuest shows there on Discord, sqpn.com slash Discord. So we will continue to cover the Ahsoka series on uh, the next couple of weeks. Subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and our YouTube channel as well. And you can find previous episodes and show notes at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. This StarQuest show is brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrylaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E-Law.com. Licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. Well, that's it for us. Until next time, John, thank you for joining our crew today. Thank you. I had a nice, uh, great time. And Ryan, so glad you joined us. Always happy to be here. And Catherine, I'm sad you didn't have a blue face for our recording, but thank you for sharing your Thrawn super fandom with us today. (laughs) Next time, next time. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And once again, I am... The one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Ciolana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science.